Shalom Chavarim. Welcome to the Jewish Road Podcast. We are here to help Christians make sense of their roots so they can help the Jewish people make sense of Jesus. My name is Matt, and I'm here with my dad, Ron. Say hey. Hey, hello. Shalom. Glad to be here with you. Uh, we have a special broadcast uh, for you today, and let me preface it by saying this. We look at this as a two-act play, and the Jewish people bought tickets to a two-act play. They went in, they saw the first act, and in intermission, they left and went home. And the Gentiles, the Christians, uh, bought tickets to the same two-act play, and they saw the second act but missed the first act. And somewhere in between, they passed each other in the lobby and never saw each other again. Well, there's a whole story there that we want to bring together for both sides. Yeah, so both sides have really only heard part of the story, and we're trying to make a connection because those connections are deep and they're significant for both sides. Right. So uh, today is actually a very unique day, and uh, again, the story takes place in both acts, and uh, this is a holiday, um, not only any holiday, but this would probably be, of all of the high holy days, all, all the holidays in Judaism, this is probably one of the most significant ones. This is the highest holy day of the year. Yes, and so uh, in Hebrew, it is called Yom Kippur. Uh, in English, we call it the Day of Atonement. Right. Now, we're going to give you a little bit of history, but we have to, before we even get to where this holiday is described, which all of these we've been talking about are in Leviticus 23, but this story actually starts even earlier. We can go all the way back to the beginning of the Torah, the Word of God, the book of Genesis, and what happens there? Well, in the book of Genesis, uh, sin entered into the world, and when sin entered the world and Adam and Eve realized that all of a sudden they were naked, they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And it says in Genesis chapter 3 that the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. And this is an interesting uh, point here, because in saying that he made garments of, si of skin, means that an animal had to die. And what's even further more interesting is that I go to New York every year and I get an opportunity to sit and talk and engage uh, our Jewish people with uh, truths of the scripture and the gospel. Now, and now, how are these Jewish people different from some of the other Jewish people that, like, you know, everybody knows somebody who's Jewish. So, you know, what, what comes to our minds when we think of a Jewish person? Uh, you, you could be sitting next to somebody at a baseball game who's Jewish and, and not know it. But then yeah. these people that you're talking to, they, well, they look Jewish, right? Yeah. Well, you know, it, it runs the gamut from secular Jews to Orthodox and ultra-Orthodox Jews. Um, and it happened to be on one particular occasion, I was talking to an 80-year-old man who was an Orthodox uh, Jewish man. Uh, he was observant, uh, he knew something of the scriptures, and when we were talking about this particular scripture, I can't remember how we got on the subject, but we got on that subject, and he indicated to me that this, these were not really garments of skin, it wasn't an animal who died, it was actually the skin from a tree or something like that. And uh, as we were discussing it, I looked it up in the Hebrew, and actually Chabad had a English-Hebrew uh, rendering of it, 
And the Hebrew word is or. It means skin by implication, the skin of an animal. And not only that, in that particular verse in Genesis, but it appears 71 other times, that same word, and it always means the skin of an animal. Um, mostly in the Torah, about a dozen times in the prophets and the writings. So right here from the very beginning, uh, it, it is established. There is a pattern that is established. The first pattern is that man is going to sin. We start right. that sin, and, and that sin exposes a, a nakedness, essentially. And right. that nakedness needs to be covered. Um, and, and what God is doing here in the garden is there's the truth of sin that has to be dealt with, but then there is also the grace that occurs in the covering. And so we have really the first shedding of blood to cover the sin, and this system of sacrifice then becomes normal throughout the rest of the first act, right? Right. Uh, there, there is a sacrifice, there is a blood sacrifice that has to take place uh, in order to cover the people's sin. It doesn't totally forgive and remove their sin, but it's just a covering, a kippura, that uh, So we have Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, uh, the where day of covering. A, an animal dies. And uh, I, I should mention that the Jewish Orthodox man I was talking to, after I uh, laid this uh, information before him, he says, hmm, that's interesting. I'll have to talk to my rabbi about that. <laughs> so... We could go throughout the rest of the story. You you have people like Abraham who's making sacrifices and offerings. But if we could fast forward, we are here at Yom Kippur. We arrive at Yom Kippur, and this is the culmination of the 10 days of awe. It's all leading up to this moment, and the last 10 days are days really of reflection and confession and coming before God. And then we land in Leviticus 23. And it says this, uh, verse 27, on exactly the 10th day of this seventh month is the day of atonement. If we remind ourselves, the, the Feast of Trumpets was on the first day of the seventh month. So now we are 10 days later. Um, so we have the day of atonement and it shall be a holy convocation for you. And you shall humble yourselves and present an offering by fire to the Lord. You shall not do any work on this very day, for it is a day of atonement to make atonement on your behalf before the Lord your God. And it gives us a lot of instructions about don't do any work on this day. And then it really finishes off in this section, verse 32. It is to be a Sabbath of complete rest, and you shall humble yourselves on the ninth of the month at evening. From evening until evening, you shall keep your Sabbath. Yes. And, it, you know, it's a time where in some of the translations it says you shall humble yourself, which is, which is good. But in other translations it says you shall afflict your souls. And this is where I think the rabbis uh, look at this and say this is a day of fasting and Jews all around the world will be fasting on this day as they afflict their souls, as they humble themselves, as they consider who they are before God. This is a day that a lot of the Jewish people, they will fast. Um, that is the interpretation of all of this. And so they will 
uh, from the evening of, and for, for us uh, this year, it's on uh, Wednesday night, and we, we go from Wednesday night to Thursday night. We'll have a meal at night, and then we begin the fasting. And it really is supposed to be an introspective time. And, and we'll go to, you know, we have typical Jewish people who will go to synagogue. And this is the one time, if there is one holiday over the, the course of the year, this will be the holiday that they go to. But uh, what we typically will do is we'll fast and we will remember. Um, but we get a little bit more description in Leviticus 16, if we actually go back a few chapters, and we actually see a, a carrying out of what this holiday looked like for the ancient Israelites. Um, and, and Moses is talking, and his brother Aaron, who is the high priest at the time, they're instructed, and this is what they're instructed. Yeah, and what what Aaron is supposed to do is... He is supposed to enter the holy place. This, was, this would be within the tabernacle or later in the temple. He would, there was the holy of holies, and he would enter it with a bull as a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering, and he would bring these before the Lord as an offering for himself and his family. And then later, they would uh, bring an offering for Israel, for the rest of Israel, two male goats as a sin offering and a ram as a burnt offering. It's interesting that the people don't bring the sacrifice to this, but the high priest brings the sacrifice. It's something that is significant as we look at it in its fulfillment later. And so in verse 8 of Leviticus 16, it says, Aaron shall cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for the scapegoat. Then Aaron shall offer the goat on which the lot for the Lord fell and make a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot for the scapegoat fell shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement upon it, to send it into the wilderness as the scapegoat. As the scapegoat. And, uh, and so what's happening here? Why, why do we have two goats? Why does actually one get free? Because if you're, if you're an animal up for sacrifice, uh, you don't oftentimes get to escape. Yeah. The, uh, the priest would lay his hands on the goat, which is, it become, it's called the Azazel. That is the scapegoat, and it's led out into the wilderness, and somebody took it far, far away. Some, uh, some people say that uh, the person who led it away pushed it off a cliff, make sure it doesn't come back, uh, because that goat had the confession of the sins of the people on it, and those sins were taken away, and the other goat, both goats are identical, and the other one became a sacrifice that was killed. I mean, you get a picture of this, right? You are an ancient Israelite. You came out of Egypt some time ago. And now you're in the middle of the wilderness. And you have Aaron, who's your high priest. And he lays his hands on this goat. And he starts confessing all of the sins of the people. He's starting to pronounce right. it. Your sins, your neighbor's sins, your wife's sins, your, your kid's sins, and all of the sins of the people are being put on this goat, and then you watch your sin leave the camp. And I agree that they probably took that goat far away, probably just kicked it off of a cliff, because the worst thing that could happen is you're around, sitting around. <laughs> the goat comes back. The goat comes back. <laughs> Wait, what goat is that? Is that the goat that all my sins were on? Nobody wants to see their sins come back. And so this was a thorough getting rid of. Now, that's where all the sins went 
for that goat, but there's something else that happens within the tabernacle. We have the high priest, and the high priest, actually, within the tabernacle, there is this place called the Holy of Holies. Does he go into the Holy of Holies every day? No, he uh, goes in there once a year. In fact, this sacrifice that he makes for himself and for the children of Israel is good for one year. He has to repeat it again the next year and every year after that. So this is the one time a year. Uh, There's a lot of instruction here in Leviticus 16 on what exactly the high priest is supposed to do, what he's supposed to wear. How he's supposed to bathe, bathe uh, himself. He right? had to go in cleansed because he's not cleansed uh, in the sense that he is holy, but he has to make himself as clean as he appears before the Lord. And in fact, uh, they would tie a rope around the high priest's waist or around his ankle uh, because just in case something happened to him while he was in the Holy of Holies, nobody else could go in and get him. They had to drag him out. Right. You can imagine some of the conversation there. If something did happen to him, the the rock, paper, scissors moment of who's going to go in and get him. Not me. I'm not going in there. And and even contextually for Leviticus 16, uh, that that first verse, uh, the the context for this is that Aaron's sons died. They were priests, right? And they, they did not do things as God prescribed. And so because of that, uh, they were taken out. So right. this was a very serious, it, for me, it's almost like uh, I, I don't enjoy baking because you constantly, you have to look at the recipe, you're going back and forth, and it's not just something you can memorize and go in. There was a prescribed order for how they had to do this. And so Aaron, the high priest, he's going in, but he has to follow everything according to God's requests. And so he is in there, he takes this offering, and he's sprinkling the blood of the bull on the mercy seat, um, asking for forgiveness, the covering the for, himself. for himself. Uh, and then we also have uh, on behalf of the people. All of this is happening on this great day of atonement. Right. Uh, and closing out uh, Leviticus 16, in verse 29 says, this will be a permanent statute for you. In the seventh month, on the 10th day of the month, you shall humble yourselves. Don't do any ordinary work. And it says, you will be clean from all your sins before the Lord. And if if you did not humble yourself, if you did not afflict your soul, if you did any work on that day, then death was the penalty. Now, all of this is taking place in Act 1, and there is another act to come. Right. And that is Act 2. So we just heard Act 1, now we're into Act 2. Where does Yom Kippur, this Day of Atonement, show up in the second act? Oh boy, well, uh, I think it shows up when Yeshua, Jesus, the Messiah, becomes that sacrifice. He enters into the Holy of Holies himself and uh, becomes the sacrifice as he sheds his blood on the cross for the sins of Israel 
and the entire world. Now we're, we're here in the New Testament and we still have a, a problem with sin. Sin is still rampant yeah. and existent here. And so we have the Passover lamb and Jesus comes to give that ultimate sacrifice. It says in Matthew 27, 45, it says this from the sixth hour, darkness fell upon all the land until the ninth hour. And in the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it's in that moment, he gives up his spirit and it says something. It says that the veil in the temple was torn from the top to the bottom. And there is no way a man could have torn it from the top to the bottom. But now it's opening this doorway really from the holy place into the Holy of Holies. Nobody could enter into that holy place. And now in the Messiah's death, he has made access to that holy place. Uh, As the writer to the Hebrews uh, told us, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, Yeshua, the Son of God. Let's hold firmly to our confession, for we don't have a high priest who can't sympathize with our weaknesses. He was tempted in all things just as we are, and he yet he was without sin, and he was the sinless sacrifice, the only sacrifice that would actually forgive sin. As we said before, every sacrifice prior to that just covered sin, and it was temporary, had to be repeated all the time. Throughout the first act, the second act, Old Testament, New Testament, everybody's always bringing their own sacrifice, right? You have even Mary and Joseph, they're coming, everybody's, you go to Jerusalem for Passover and they're they're slaughtering, Josephus tells us they're slaughtering upwards of 250,000 lambs, right? So everybody's bringing their sacrifice, but this is a specific, going even back to Genesis 22, you have Abraham and Isaac and they're going up to Mount Moriah and, you know, Isaac is looking at his dad saying, look, there's fire and there's wood. Where's the lamb for the offering? Mm-hmm. Abraham says, God will provide for himself. Uh, so they continue to go on. But this this is unique. And you mentioned this in Act 1, that this is the one where the high priest is actually providing the sacrifice on behalf of the people. Right. The people are not actually bringing the blood sacrifice at this time. It's the priest. And that is significant because our high priest offered himself as a sacrifice, um, just as in the Old Testament, in Act One of this two-act play, the uh, the priest brought the sacrifice for the people. The people didn't bring it. God brought Himself as a sacrifice. Basically, is what this is saying for the forgiveness of sin. And if we could put the the picture of this Day of Atonement, and we combine this with, or hyperlink it with the the act of Jesus being crucified on the cross. Uh, essentially, I mean, I, I love the passage in Second Corinthians five. Right, it says he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. That is known as the double imputation. Uh, oh boy, he took our sin and we took his righteousness. Okay, that's what double imputation means. Yeah. Okay, so essentially as as Jesus becomes sin on our behalf he takes on all of our sin it's it's this picture of really the high priest casting all of the sins upon the goat and and then really like we are the ones that are are set free now when we were talking about this in prep uh you you brought something up that really I I'd, I'd never heard and 
uh, it's it's about the release. It's about the scapegoat, and it's about that release. And remember, yeah. back in Act One, we have the two goats. Yeah, that that picture is is really played out again here in the second act. It is. It's it's played out uh, as Yeshua Jesus is standing before the people with Pilate, and uh, something really interesting is taking place. Uh, there there was a tradition, a custom, who'd say, and Mark talks about this custom in his gospel, but uh, there was a custom where during the time of Passover, which that's when Jesus was crucified, it was during Passover. And so during that time, Pilate has on one side of him, Jesus, and on the other side of him, Barabbas. Everybody's probably familiar with that. Uh, Think back though, to the offering in the Old Testament. There were two goats, they were identical. And one became the blood sacrifice and one became the scapegoat and was taken away. Well, in this picture that we have here, Pilate is actually in his second attempt to free Jesus. And the people, he's asking the people, would you have me to free the king of the Jews? And they said, we have no king but Caesar. And the people who just four days earlier were saying, Baruch Abba, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord are now saying, crucify him. And so you have Pilate standing there with Jesus on one side and Barabbas on the other side. And the irony of all of this is that Barabbas is not actually a proper name. It's not his name. That's what's written in the scripture, but it's a Greek transliteration of the Aramaic words bar which means son of, and Abba, which means father. So Barabbas, Bar Abba, is son of the father. Now, I think the Gospels don't tell us his actual name, maybe because uh, they wanted to avoid confusion uh, Hmm. on, on this topic. So what's the implication of this? So we have, we have Jesus and we have Barabbas. Yeah. They're both standing there. And Pilate is saying, who do you want me to release? And, and, but the, the fact that his name is the son of the father, what, what's the implication? Well, what's, what's really interesting here is his name. And we get, we get from other sources, uh, we find they reveal that his name Barabbas's name, his first name was actually Yeshua. It was a common first century name. So Barabbas's name is Yeshua, the son of the father. And Pilate tried hard to release Yeshua, Jesus, and it just wasn't going to happen. And so you have these two men standing on either side of Pilate and the innocent one is the one who is put to death. They're accused basically of the same crime, sedition. Mm -hmm. Um, And the innocent one is put to death and the guilty one is set free. And Mark tells us that it was for envy that the chief priests delivered him up. Their reasons were personal, but the charge was political. And so you have Yeshua, the real son of God, the son of the father, and Yeshua, Barabbas, also the son of the father, identical, just like the goats. And one is made the sacrifice so the guilty can be set free. So the two goats show up again here in the second act. We have the first act that is really a shadow of what is to come 
in in the second act and and what we've said even from the beginning of of this little series on the feasts is that these feasts are unfulfilled these fall feasts are unfulfilled so that means that there is a greater fulfillment to come when it comes to Yom Kippur, what is that pointing to? What is well, this holiday point? How will we know this is fulfilled? You know, we look at Israel, and uh, of course, Israel is has been out of the land for 2,000 years. They're finally brought back in 1948 from the dispersion. Um, originally, the Jewish people, led by the Jewish leaders, uh, rejected the Messiahship of Yeshua, Jesus. And because of that, the offer of the kingdom was rescinded from that Jewish generation. It wasn't given to the church. It is intended to be given to another Jewish generation, the one coming out of the Great Tribulation. And so we are looking forward still to that time. We had a fulfillment of the feast, the Day of Atonement, I should say, uh, in the death and the resurrection of the Messiah. But there is another fulfillment coming at the end of the tribulation when, as Paul says, a blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles come, comes in and then all Israel will be, be saved. saved. And on that day, they will recognize that Jesus was the Messiah and they'll say, we missed him. And I think that they will, in their repentance, recite Isaiah 53 and uh, said, how could we have missed it? Yeah. So what are the Jewish people today? What do they do for atonement? We have a problem because there is no holy of holies. There, There's not a high priest to go in. There's no sacrifice. There's no temple. There's no temple. The temple was destroyed in 70 AD, so you can't make sacrifices. Well, it was about 20 years after that. Uh, there was a council that met together. Uh, the, the Jews dispersed all throughout the world, the diaspora. Uh, mm-hmm. But there was a gathering in a little town called Yavne in the, in the year 90 AD, so 20 years later. Mm-hmm. And really, there was a coming together, and they, they had to ask themselves this question, what do we do now? We, now that we yeah. don't have the temple, how are we going to continue to be Jewish? Uh, or do we just kind of assimilate into every other culture and lose our identity as the people of God altogether? Really, that was the beginning of some pretty major changes in Judaism. And it went from a biblical Judaism to a rabbinic Judaism at that point. And, and just to rephrase that, though, a biblical Judaism to a man-made Judaism, yeah. right? That's that's really what we're trying to say when we say rabbinical. Right. They, they really kind of changed the rules. And, uh, you know, I always have to ask, you know, who gave you the right to change the rules? <laughs> yeah. Well, in Leviticus 17, verse 11, it says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I've given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. So it's always been the, the requirement for the covering of sin has always been the blood. And so really what happened in that little council in that little town called Yavne was a changing of the rules. Yeah. You might say that, that that giving of the blood on the altar was always looking forward to the blood that the Messiah was going to shed, that God himself was going to shed, uh, basically, so because when Yeshua, Jesus, in the incarnation came and became one of us, he was part of the Godhead who came here, set that aside and became a man. And uh, so it was his blood and it was always looking forward to that. 
Yeah, so today, uh, if you were to go to a synagogue, uh, one of the things that, that the Jewish people will do, in addition to good deeds and following the law, and which is near impossible, it is impossible. It is impossible. Yeah. Not near impossible. I mean, a third of the laws had to do with the temple as it was. They, they believe in doing mitzvot or good mm-hmm. deeds and prayer. But one of the things that takes place specifically during Yom Kippur is the reading of a prayer called Al-Chet. Now, this is 44 mistakes. Now, you can't possibly, I mean, imagine being the high priest and going around and saying, I'm going to need a list of all of your sins and getting everybody to confess everything. Yeah, 44 hardly touches it. Hardly touches it, right? And so what does that look like? Well, they've basically come up with a conglomeration of these statements. And, and we'll put this up on our, on our blog. You can check that out. But Al-Khet, I, I really love it, especially in this, this year. But just to give you a sense, for the sin which we have committed before you of our own will and for the sin which we have committed before you by hardening our hearts, for the sin which we have committed before you unknowingly, and for the sin which we've committed before you openly or secretly. Uh, there's one in here that says, uh, for our running to do evil and our limping to do good. Uh, but it closes out and just says, and for the sin which we've committed before you by the confusion of values, for all these, O God of forgiveness, forgive us, pardon us, and grant us mm-hmm. atonement. Uh, so we'll post that up on our, on our blog, and you can read that and have that as a little bit of a meditation. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that is Al-Khet. That is one of the kind of the parts of the service that takes place uh, during Yom Kippur today. So let's wrap this up. Yeah. That was a really quick overview. Um, but what do we do today? Should believers, should Christians in the church, followers of Jesus, what do they do for this Day of Atonement? Should they fast? What are you doing? What are we doing and why? Yeah, well... Uh, that's an interesting question, uh, something that comes up uh, pretty frequently. You know, the law has actually been rendered inoperative with the death of Messiah. And so we are in a completely different relationship with God now uh, during this age. It's not that the law has gone away. It's still there. It will still convict you of your sin, but we are living in a different relationship to God at this time. And I, I would have to say, looking back, I mean, I grew up in a house, we were not believers uh, when I was growing up as a kid. Um, we had, I had Orthodox, Jewish, kosher grandparents from Eastern Europe. Um, and that's the kind of home that my parents grew up in. And, uh, you know, every high holiday on Yom Kippur, uh, the Jewish people would go to the synagogue. We didn't go to the synagogue because you had to buy tickets, and it was kind of expensive, and my dad couldn't afford the tickets. But I'll tell you, on that day, he didn't go to work. I didn't go to school. We didn't even go outside the house because we realized that there was a certain reverence that we needed to maintain as Jews before the community where we lived, especially when we moved to California. Um, we were observant in the best way that we could be. Uh, in terms of today, I think every person has to make up their own mind. So uh, you and I, we, we do fast mm-hmm. on Yom Kippur. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not sure why they call it fast because it always goes so slow. Yeah. <laughs> but um, we do that. And, and I'd say that we, we do that, uh, number one, because I, I think that that's good. I mean, there's, there's prescriptive verses in the, in the New Testament that say that this is a good thing. We, we can deny ourselves and we can look at, 
at what God has given us. And we, it, it is a time for us to be able to reflect on our sinfulness. But I, I also would say that we do this to identify with our Jewish community, that we're doing yeah. this in unity and solidarity with our Jewish community. Right. Realizing that the atonement that was made was made 2,000 years ago in the Messiah, and he is available to all of our Jewish people out there, as well as everybody. I think a major message is that God is not limited. Uh, He's not limited to watching us and our actions just on these 10 days of awe. Uh, God is not limited to writing our names in his book of life on just these 10 days of the year, but he can write our names in the book of life on any day of the year. That God is not limited to giving atonement and forgiveness on just this day. Right. Um, so we have we have called, been called, to have our bodies and our entire lives to be living sacrifices. Right. Uh, in Romans 12, he says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Yeah. And notice, it's not a dead sacrifice. It's a living sacrifice. It's a living one. Well, you can find out more on our website at thejewishroad.com or follow us at The Jewish Road on Instagram. Visit our website to see what we're up to, read our blogs, learn about upcoming speaking events, donate, and follow us. Uh, You can also download a PDF there we've written called The Jewish Road, Five Keys to Bringing Jesus to the Jewish People. And you can always get us at our email address. Do you know we have an email address there? Yeah, we have an email address. You told me that. <laughs> I did. I told you that. Every once in a while you look at it and say, hey, what is this? So you can get us on email. We might even write you back. Shalom at thejewishroad.com. Hey, well, thanks for listening. There's certainly more to come. And until then, Sha'alu Shalom Yerushalayim. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Shalom. Shalom.